And I and I know there's stuff I'm leaving out. What did you got to add? Uh, oh, I had to add the uh, the stuff about the World Cup deals coming out today. Oh. <coughs> All right. Well, just know you're carrying this podcast tonight. So. Oh. You you mean like I always carry every episode of the all new sports show, the podcast, West Bradshaw? No, not like you carry everyone. I mean, like. I'm going to talk for like eight total minutes tonight, and that's it. Oh, this is going to be fantastic. Welcome to episode 41 of the all-new Sports of the Podcast, everyone. Uh, brought to you by NGSC Sports. You can find them at ngscsports.com. NGSC Sports, we never stop. And you want to get all their great uh, coverage of all bunch of different sports on there, uh, including some great articles that are getting posted on there as we speak, including one that is on the front page. As we do this podcast, which is unfortunately coming to you a day late, uh, my colleague Wes Bradshaw, who's on the other line, is uh, has been feeling a little under the weather, but we're going to have him uh, put in a good shift tonight. Uh, he'll have a good work rate, I'm sure. Um, so, this could be MJ and the flu game if I all goes well. Oh, I, I hope so. Gatorade will be making commercials about this for years. But like we said right now on NGSCSports.com, uh, you can check out the keys to the Florida Panthers making the postseason, which will be really good to read up on because, quite frankly, we're probably never going to talk about hockey on this podcast. But we do have a lot of soccer to get to. Uh, busy times in the Barclays Premier League. Uh, coaches in, coaches out. We don't really know. Uh, of course, the USMNT and the true U.S. national team also played this past week. Uh, we'll take a look at, was Juventus doctoring footage? Who knows? Maybe. Uh, the Avorians, the Cote d'Ivoirians, uh, have finally won something. Uh, we'll also be heading into the realm of college basketball. Unfortunately, we lost two great coaching legends in the past couple days. Um, very unfortunate. And we will celebrate their lives as well as... Um, We'll take a look at the current bubble picture and a somewhat cynical ban self-imposed by one ACC school. We have one Major League Baseball move to report, and it is a big one to a club that might be a surprise contender come April. Uh, we'll, of course, hit the zeitgeist. Uh, terrible tragedy over in Egypt this past week. We'll talk about that uh, and so, so much more, including Watch 4 and so raw. And of course, if you want to get in on the conversation, you might have more input right now than Wes Bradshaw. You can get at us on social media. Hit us up on Twitter at All New Sports Show, at Wes Bradshaw21, and at Edward Green. On Facebook, we are All New Sports Show. Instagram as well. Uh, YouTube, we are The All New Sports Show. Email us, allnewsportshow at gmail.com, and please send your letters and parcels to 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201. Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 27804. Wes, let's jump right into it. And as I like to do, I like to give you the option on weeks when we got to do it. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start midweek Premier League action with the all-new Sports Show Derby? Or do you want to start weekend action as we each had our own respective, somewhat more celebrated derbies? I say let's, uh, let's start with the weekend. Let's, uh, let's start low and build to a crescendo. 
Oh, I I think the crescendo is actually Saturday morning at seven forty-five, but we'll get to that. Uh, this past weekend was a fan- all, all all depends on your uh, all depends on your point of view. Ed. Oh, it's seven forty-five. It was fantastic. Um, earlier than that, uh, later later in the day, it got a little uh, dicey, but it's great. Uh, of course, your results from this past weekend. It again starts Tottenham Hotspur two. Arsenal won. North London is theirs for once. Uh, Aston Villa won. Chelsea two. Uh, news coming out of Aston Villa after that match. Leicester nil. Crystal Palace won. The Fighting Rebecca Lowe's get a big win on the road. Man City won. Hull won. Since we probably won't talk about it much, we'll just ask like we usually like to do. What the hell's up with our, our Man City? There's a lot of stuff going on in Man City. Maybe they'll get Yaya Tori back soon, though. Southampton won. QPR nil. Swansea won. Sunderland won. Big draw for the Black Cats on the road. And in the Merseyside Derby, maybe, probably, Steven Gerrard's last. Everton nil. Liverpool nil at Goodison Park. And on Sunday, it was Burnley 2, West Brom 2, Newcastle 1, Stoke 1, and West Ham 1, Manchester United 1. Manchester United saved at the death by a daily blint equalizing header. Wes, let us, let us start with probably the less exciting of the two derby matches. Um, Steven Gerrard had, plays in his final Merseyside draw, uh, derby at Goodison Park, and it is a nil-nil draw. Uh, kind of a sleepy affair, I think, um, as this kind of music plays in my earphones, as I have to pause now 37 different videos here. Thanks, Autoplay from ESPN.com. You're easily the best thing ever. Um, Wes, take us through, uh, as best you can, your emotions from the latest edition of the Merseyside Derby. Uh, you know, it was one going in. Liverpool had a lot of hope. Liverpool's been playing well lately. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Of course, uh, Daniel Sturridge is back. Um, uh, you know, Stevie G's last, most likely last Merseyside Derby, unless something crazy happens in Europa and these two meet. Um, and then, you know, to top it off, Stevie G just he he looked he looked old. You could tell you could you could see why he's going to the LA Galaxy. You can, and he by the way he's going to be fantastic for the LA Galaxy. Yeah. You know, but you know the MLS is not it's not set for the kind of pace and physicality. Obviously, the Premier League. Uh, Stevie G just looked off his game, and. It, it almost seemed like Brendan Rodgers, who, you know, over the last two months especially, has just made great decisions. It seemed like he tried to go with that sentimental decision. Yeah. And um, instead of maybe subbing Stevie off at about 65 minutes and bringing on some nice fresh legs in the midfield, he kept Stevie on for the full 90. You know, maybe hoping for that romantic Stevie hits a shot in the 88 and we win. And it just it just didn't happen. And I think Liverpool I hate to say, but you know, if Liverpool ends up one or two points out of fourth place in a Champions League uh, spot this year, I really think you're gonna look back at this Merseyside Derby and call it a uh, an opportunity missed. Yeah, it's it's one of those where neither team 
look to really be doing much going forward until maybe about the last 10 minutes. Uh, I was I was interested that uh, Ross Barkley, uh, when he came on for Everton, made things really start to happen for Roberto Martinez's side. And I, I'm, I'm, I was a little curious maybe why he wouldn't get the start, uh, especially against such a young side like Liverpool. Ross Barkley's such a dynamic talent. But really, I mean, this was a match I think Liverpool should have won. And we'll get to it, obviously. You know, we'll talk about it a little bit more later. We, we saw Chelsea pull out a win in a, a very similar game in the midweek against Everton where they get a goal in the 88th minute. And they talk, this is this is what champions do. Champions find ways to win games like this late. And it just it's one of those where you you like you said, if Liverpool have Champions League aspirations, they did, of course, get a win midweek, but this is one of those where you really want to get those three points. Well, the thing is, you know, here's the deal. You want to beat those teams above you, it's important. But the matches where you're supposed to get three are the ones that you really cannot afford to drop points in. Right. Um, I mean, it just going to show, you know, really every fixture in the Barclays Premier League, especially once you get to this time of year, everything is important. And I just at this point, I think Stevie's become either a, you know, you play him 60 to 65 and sub him guy, or you, uh, you bring him in in the 60 to 65th minute and let him try to bring some magic light in the game. Those are kind of the two things you have at this point for Steven Gerrard. So I just, I truly don't believe anymore that he's a 90 minute man. Um, not at this point of the year, at this pace of attack, at what Liverpool is trying to do. I mean, when you've got, oh man, I, I hate it because I'm not trying to bury Stevie G. By I know, I know. As you know, I mean, I absolutely, I, I adore the man. Without a doubt, I adore the man. But, um, you know, right now, watching Stevie G out there with the uh, with the rest of that Liverpool side, it's kind of like watching a broken down nag playing with a bunch of thoroughbreds. <laughs> yes, because I mean, when you've got, and I know all year, you know, I, I sit here and I rave about the young guns. Uh, see Jordan Ibe on Saturday, yeah, yes, uh, because that was Liverpool's best player, and uh, he had he had Liverpool's best shot on goal, and went well, off the uh, sidebar, went off the off the sidebar. God, he was spectacular. Jordan Ibe was amazing, um, and then he kept it up in the midweek. Yes, but, you know when you've got Ibe and Sterling and Sturridge and and, uh, <clears throat> and Emery Chan and. You know, Jordan Henderson, those guys, they're just, you know, they are, they're guys who have not hit their peak yet. Right, right. They're playing fantastic football. Stevie obviously hit his peak a few years ago. Um, he's on the downside of his career. So it's kind of that weird impasse where you've got guys on the way up <clears throat> and an old legend who's on the way down. And Stevie just, you know, Stevie five years ago would have been perfect with this team. I mean, he would have been beyond perfect. But right now, the 34-year-old Stevie, who's obviously not the 29-year-old Stevie, he's um, he, he's passing at this point for Liverpool. And that doesn't mean he won't score some goals, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Turn around, score one in the midweek. Um, it doesn't mean he won't do some great things. But overall, he's just – I don't think he's a – I don't think he's an automatic start anymore. No, I, I, I think you're right, and especially still being in the FA Cup, still being, you know, we're about to hit Europa next week. These these are the times when 
uh, Brendan Rodgers is really going to have to start manipulating his lineup really well. And I think this is the biggest decision he's going to have to make is when and how is he going to use Steven Gerrard going forward. Well, and here's the thing, and this this came off of the midweek game. For the next month, he's not going to have to worry about it because it looks like Gerrard's going to miss the next month due to a groin injury. Yes. So, um, you know, that decision's been made easy. Unfortunately, at this point, that's not what you want it because now you need the depth. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, of course, Gerrard in Europe is legendary. Um, you know, that, that, I really thought that may be where he could play his best football because of course you get these other European sides, they don't play the pace of the premier league game. And that's a point you can let Gerard kind of, uh, you know, find his way into a game, find his way, uh, late into a match and really make a few plays for you. <clears throat> and unfortunately they're going to be missing him for the next three to four weeks. Well, speaking of a man who is finding his way into matches and can make a few plays for you, let us head to North London for the North London Derby, the second edition of the year. It's White Hart Lane, Tottenham Hotspur 2, Arsenal 1, Mesut Ozil opens the scoring for the Gunners with an 11th minute goal off a Hugo Lloris deflection. And then Tottenham Hotspur responds like apparently only Tottenham Hotspur really can this year. Harry Kane with a 56th minute strike and then an 86th minute header for the win. The kid has come good in a tough, bruising match that saw eight yellow cards produced throughout. And West Arsenal displaying a style that they seem to really invoke against Man City and we praise them for they they were tight in the back and and they sprung on the counter and they took advantage of every mistake and and they just let the game to come to them and there was brilliant spacing it, it seemed like they kind of tried to do the same thing against Spurs and but there was just no impetus going forward of course they did on the the opening goal when uh Danny Welbeck managed to blow by Danny Rose and get himself into space that led to the cross that led to the goal. That, that was kind of a theme for the week, by the way, blowing past Danny Rose. It's been a theme for the year. Um, but really, at the end of the day, Tottenham just deserved this one hands down over Arsenal. I'm not even saying that as a Spurs fan. This this was severe, I think, domination by Spurs. Spurs wanted it more. They took it to Arsenal. And at the end of the day, Arsenal really had no answer. And, um, you know, we, this show originates out of the southeastern portion of the United States. It does. Um, you know, I'd say we're at the southern end of the mid-Atlantic region, uh, you know, however you want to classify North Carolina, but then we are known as Hurricane Alley on yes. our Outer Banks, of course. Um, in England, that's something that I don't think they really ever get as a hurricane, but I'm going to tell you, Hurricane Harry blew right through north london on saturday and it absolutely toppled the arsenal defense that young man and then of course when i saw him doing his liverpool he is special he's very good and uh, he showed it and um i believe he is going to be rewarded with an england call up next time it happens let's not call it a reward uh it actually came out today roy hodgson <laughs> saying that uh he is he is going to be looking to bring up harry kane to the england by, by reward of course i mean you know by attrition but still. yes um but I, of course it also came out uh the stat that uh in the new year 
Uh, Harry Kane has uh, tied for the most goals in all competitions with another young man. I believe some people would know uh, if I can if I can pronounce his name right. Lionel Messi, this this Messi fellow from Barcelona. Uh, so so this Messi kid, he's in good company with Harry Kane right now. Uh, but just he's fantastic. Really though, a lot of plaudits to to this entire Spurs team who really came to play. Um, you know, Danny Rose, save for that one bad mistake against uh, Welbeck, was very, very good. Very good going forward. Uh, put Arsenal in a few tough spots. Forced David Ospina, who was in his third straight start in a goal for Wojciech Chesney, uh, forced him into a few good saves. Uh, Hugo Lloris, world-class as always, uh, had a brilliant save on Welbeck when it was 1-1 to keep it there. Uh, Vertonghen looked good. Eric Dyer looked really good. Had one bad mistake in the midweek, but other than that, this kid is starting to look very, very comfortable in the center back position. Uh, Lamella actually had a pretty good game. Uh, Dembele is starting to look much better, Musa Dembele. Christian Eriksen, even an off game by his standards, was still good. Ryan Mason, just just keep shooting, kid. You keep shooting, putting shots on target. I'm going to keep letting you shoot. This, and, and again, I, I don't want to ruin it because of what happened in the midweek. But man, this this is a team that is really starting to come together under Maurizio Pochettino, and and you can finally this this might be the best example of what Maurizio Pochettino's teams are going to do going forward, and should serve notice that if you want to play a counterattacking style against Spurs going forward, you're going to have to show a lot more impetus when you actually have the ball than just sending one or two guys forward as Arsenal did on Saturday. You know, based on form going into that match, Arsenal had won three straight league matches. Mm-hmm. Um, they were hot. They were playing as well as anyone in the league. They did have, uh, at that point, they had the longest streak going in the league. Win I wise. think uh, also three out of four clean sheets as well. That's right. That's right. They, <clears throat> excuse me. They played very well. And, you know, when they went up 1-0, I think a lot of people kind of thought, oh, you know, Spurs are going to Spurs are going to clips in it. Yep. You know, Spurs and Clemson, Spurs and Clemson are kind of close together in the alphabet, it seems like. <laughs> um, but, you know, Harry Kane maybe is this new generation of Spurs player <clears throat> that says, you know, the hell with you, Arsenal. I'm not worried about what you've done to us for 20 or 30 years. You know, this is my time. This is our time. You know, kiss our ass <laughs> and come get some. And, I mean, he's just – he was extremely impressive leading the line, getting the victory. And, um, you know, it was it was just – it was a huge moment for Spurs because it has now given them a legitimate top four chance. You know, I, I know you don't want to talk a whole lot, but I, I do want to ask you. Um, you know, we had this game, Harry Kane, terrific in it. Uh, most notably missing from the Arsenal lineup was Alexis Sanchez. These are the two men, you know, you can say what you want about Diego Costa. You can say what you want about Sergio Aguero. I think these right now, these two gentlemen, are head-to-head in my MVP ballot. And I don't know who I'd put first right now out of those two. They have both been fantastic. But I think those two would be my top two MVP choices going forward. I don't know how you feel. 
And of course, in England, I believe they call it the PFA Player of the Year, whatever they want to call it. If you said MVP, they say, what the bloody hell are you talking about, MVP? Um, uh, most valuable prawn. Yes, absolutely. I love a good prawn. I would love prawns. Um, <clears throat> I mean, they have. There, you know, there have been a handful of guys this year who have stepped up in each and every day in the Premier League, and th- those are those guys. Um, you know, Alexis Sanchez is a big time loss for Arsenal right now because he he kind of has that swagger about him where you just feel like he can score every time out. Mm-hmm. And without him, Arsenal just, you know, they played well, don't get me wrong, but they just kind of seem to be missing that little extra oomph when uh, when they don't have Alexis Sanchez. Certainly. Yeah, I, I, they, they look they – look, I don't want to say they look ordinary. I think that might be a little harsh, but they don't – they don't have the same playmaking abilities, and I think that might have been another reason Arsene Wenger decided to to put in the kind of thing he wanted uh, in terms of uh, matching up against Spurs. Uh, are Sao Paulo dogs calling, Wes? Or are you, are you... Those dogs are out again, and Sao Paulo calls. Okay. And and those those dogs have been now taken care of. So so let us let us continue on with our last match. We'll discuss. From the weekend, uh, West Ham won, Manchester United won, Chiquie Kyote with a goal in the 49th minute is erased again, as I said earlier, by a daily blend left-footed shot from the center of the box following, oh, Wes, we love a good set piece in the 92nd minute to save uh, Louis van Hall's side against Big Sam's side at Bolin Ground. I don't know if I should give Manchester United credit for fighting back to to snatch a draw on the road, or if I should say, no, you're better than West Ham. You should probably have won this one going away. Well, really, I mean, going on the road against a team like West Ham, getting a draw is not a bad result. Um (laughs) <laughs> I just don't really believe that uh, that was the way Manchester United was thinking <laughs> they were gonna uh, that was gonna take place. Um, with it, basically that win has them up in third place right now. Um, of course, we'll go over the standings. The razor, razor thin right now for yeah. United staying in the Champions League. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, <clears throat> points better than no points. So, you know, for United, you got to give them credit for, you know, having the, uh, I guess, the impetus of Daily Blinn laid on to make that play. So, uh, got to give United a little bit of credit. Do we? Do we? Yes, it's not sexy, but you know what? Uh, I mean, we would be really giving them shit if they'd lost that game. That's true. And I really wish they'd lost. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't. I mean, they're they're not right. And even... You know the midweek game showed they're not right. Mm-hmm. You know, as as my as my grandfather, the old country gentleman himself, would say, that boy ain't right. <laughs> and I think you can say that about a lot of those guys over at United right now. They're not; those guys are not really playing to form. Mm-hmm. But by God, they're finding a way to stay up there. I mean, they're literally they're, you know, I mean they're in third, 
probably not going to catch City. Five points behind City. Uh, 12 points behind Chelsea. They're not going to win the league. Probably not going to finish second. But right now, he races on for third and fourth place. And all you got to do is find a way to get there. And right now, United, you know, as we say about our high school basketball right here, United uh, is in the driver's seat and control their own destiny. That's that's very important in high school basketball and in the Barclays Premier League. All right, Wes, let us head to the midweek matches, which I, I just I, I begin to loathe. I, I don't I don't like these FA. Please, please change these. Not you even this week. I love the midweek. I sure, man. I, I don't like midweek coming right after, you know, you play in this week. It's just like let's like, yeah, bro. It's good, bro. It's all good, bro. Midweek, we love it. Don't we? This is the same reason why we hate the uh, the the uh, the holiday season. But see, on holiday, on holiday though, on holiday, we're all home from work and we can just watch them like that instead of having to watch them on a cell phone that's propped up beside our computer monitor, or Not listening on a, or listening on talk sport while your coworkers are telling you to turn it down. Yeah. I have issues with talk sport. I'll still listen to them, but I have a lot of issues with talk sport. I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of one of your only <laughs> options at times. Yes, it's a, it's a very love hate relationship I have with talk sport. It was like it was like having to listen to Woody Durham call Carolina basketball games for years. Oh, 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 yeah. You know, Woody, if you want to get me a job, though, I don't think Woody. Uh, I don't think Woody's got any swag anymore. Well, yeah, probably. On Tuesday, February 10th, as we move quickly along here, the scores were Arsenal 2, Leicester 1, Hull 2, Aston Villa 0, Sunderland 0, QPR 2. Harry Redknapp's former club snaps an 11-game losing streak on the road to to begin the season. Excuse me, as they get a win. That's what happens when you get rid of Josie Altidore, Sunderland. And, of course, in the all-new sports show, Derby, it was Liverpool 3, Tottenham Hotspur 2 at Anfield. On Wednesday, it was Chelsea 1, Everton 0. Certainly that match not without controversy. Manchester United 3, Burnley 1. That game a lot, lot closer than that scoreline probably indicates. Uh, Southampton nil, West Ham nil. Southampton not able to steal a win at home against West Ham, even with West Ham going down to 10 men after the goalkeeper Adrian handled the ball outside the box and was sent off. Uh, Stoke won, Manchester City four. The Citizens coming good again and look to be rounding into form to finish in second place. Crystal Palace won, Newcastle won, and West Brom two, Swansea Nil. West Brom proving they are not an easy team to go beat on their home soil. But Wes, let us know now go to the all-new sports show derby, which is the all-new sports show derby because it's our two teams. And huzzah, huzzah. I could talk about this game and really, I, I'm not going to that much because besides, <laughs> I mean, there's just like a profound, I mean, we we swear on this podcast. We swear from time to time, but man, I don't think the words I would be using to describe my feelings at the end of this match would be appropriate even for this podcast. So, Wes, I will I will let you start, good sir. Well, Ed, um, Liverpool fifth straight win over Tottenham, but Ed, as in everyone I've told you since, you're getting closer. Yeah, you scored twice in this one. We equalized too early. That was our problem. That was your problem. You equalized too early. I think. Uh, and then the we equalized few, too early again. I mean, you think it has gone from a 
five nil, down to four nil, down to three nil, down to three to two. So we're winning the next one. That's it. No, no, no. We haven't gone there yet. Uh, it means it, it, it's, that means it should be maybe two to two. We'll get a draw. See what no, happens. No, no, because we went straight from a, a three goal win to a one goal win. So that means next one is a one goal win Spurs. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't like that. I don't like that. I think Liverpool still do a two goal win. So uh, I still got that one on the deck to come. Um, for Liverpool, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think it was a deserved result. Um, I think while both teams had their stretches of playing well in that game, I think uh, Liverpool kind of had the impetus to be on the front foot for most of it. Um, Jordan Ibe talked about a little earlier. You know, we made the joke about Danny Rose. Jordan Ibe, whew, you know, Danny Rose could have taken out, you know, assault charges on Ibe after that game because yeah. – uh, I basically beat the hell out of him on national television or worldwide television, not even national. Um, Jordan Ibe has turned into an X factor right now for Liverpool. His pace and strength down that side was just phenomenal. I threw in Lazar Markovic and his fantastic pace. One thing Liverpool have in abundance is team speed. When you look at Sturridge, Markovic, Ibe, Sterling, you know, you're looking at guys who can just absolutely fly. Um, you know, end of the day, Markovic took a very, very good goal to score the opener. Um, Danny Rose flying in with a really reckless challenge on Daniel Sturridge that drew the penalty for the second, and then the uh, the shocker of all shockers. Even though I knew, I always knew he would come good, Ed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not once. Forty podcasts, forty podcasts of evidence stacked against you on that one. And I just don't believe that's true. But anyway, um, Mario Balotelli finally gets close enough to the goal, yeah. where he can't sky it over. He may have tried, yeah. but he could not sky this one over top. And um, Liverpool come out three two. Uh, I do have a. Uh, you know, it, I really think in this one we could say this was the two-goal win for Liverpool because uh, I guess you have to agree with me, you know, based on the actual evidence of it, that second Spurs goal should have never been a goal. Well, that was something I wanted to talk about. I, I, I'm not sure I'm not sure how it came across in the talk sport uh, broadcast, but the reaction I got after the game, and I don't mean – and I, I don't remember the man, the gentleman's name, and it's not here on the uh, the post match uh, sheet here on ESPN. Uh, uh-huh. This might have been apparently one of the worst officiated matches in the history of the sport, and not not completely one way or the other, but it was just apparently very, very, very bad. Well, they said it wasn't Howard Webb level bad, but it was pretty bad. <laughs> um. Overall, you know, on on the resulting equalizer for Spurs, the second the second equalizer, there were actually two offside penalties. You know, should have been two offsides called on the play. No, just the first one. one uh, Harry Kane. Yeah, that's the one on the free kick. Harry Kane was a yard offside. Yeah, that's the one though. Yeah, well, and then actually on the goal. Um, oh God, your goal scorer! I've suddenly lost it. Dembele. Dembele was. Actually, offside. 
Was he? Uh, I, 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 he didn't look offside when I saw it. He was. I mean, I've seen a couple angles where he, you know, he was behind the Liverpool defense when he took the pass. Um, and it wasn't that the pass was hitting. He moved. He was he was behind them and took it. But either way, you know, the play should have never started after Harry Kane was offside. That's the one that, uh, you know, led to the led to the goal. So that's the one that gets all the attention. But there were numerous other ones. The penalty call was so dead on it wasn't funny. Danny Rose was completely. I mean, he missed everything. He mm-hmm. he took out straight foot on Sturge. So that was that was about the only good call that was that could have been close for anything. Uh, but other than that, I mean, both ways officiating was just it was just bad. I heard there were I heard there was a lot of bad yellows given both ways, and there were a lot of yellows just overall. And uh, you know, Stevie actually, you know, Stevie G came out with a yellow. In a play where he he got all ball, mm-hmm. he completely knocked the ball away. I mean, really, it shouldn't have even been a foul. And then Stevie ends up coming up with yellow, and that blew people away. There were a couple on Spurs I vividly remember just stating, even obviously as a Liverpool fan, stating, "How in the hell are you giving yellow cards on this?" Yeah, you know, call a foul, fine, but where's the where's the bookable offense? Um, <clears throat> So ugly match, ugly match, reminiscent of many Howard Webb matches. Um, but that's England. It's uh, it's kind of like SEC football officiating. It's it's basically the worst. Um, but still, Spurs. I, I mean, I I don't know. Would you would you call this one of the top matches the Premier League has seen this year? I think it was one of your more entertaining matches. Okay, you had two teams who were very. Up and down. And, and I love using the words up and down. Um, you know, both were going for goal. <clears throat> both played pretty much on the front foot. Um, all the goals. Well, you know, the the opening Liverpool goal, you know, pretty much both Spurs goals were, you know, they were nice goals. Sturridge made a really nice move on the penalty. And um, the setup for Balotelli's goal was really nice. And, you know, that's what you like. You know, it's not a bunch of, <clears throat> you know, it wasn't just a bunch of corners going in for headers. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't all penalties on BS calls. It was it was a really fun match. Of course, it came down to the last uh, few minutes of it. Um, and then, obviously, one of the most newsworthy ones because, you know, no one knows news like Balotelli knows news. Uh-huh. He has so, now joined. Just literally, the fact if Ricky Lambert had come on and scored the goal, it oh great, Ricky Lambert scored, super duper. Yep. But no, Balotelli scored, so it was a worldwide news story yep. at that point. Yep, he's now joined the other 160 people in the top five leagues in Europe who have taken 35 or more shots in league competitions and had already scored. <laughs> Welcome to that elite club. Yes, the very elite club of 161. Here is your golden jacket. Uh, well, but for Mario, <clears throat> you know, what you saw now, he actually, he came on and replaced Daniel Sturridge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think a lot of Liverpool fans have been saying, don't judge him too quick based on the fact that he hasn't played with Sturridge yet, which is supposed to be, you know, where he was supposed to be his best. Cause Mario is not a great lone striker, but I do believe that, um, with Sturridge being in the game early, 
you know, obviously by early, I mean all the way up until about the 75th minute. Uh, Sturridge had run the uh, had run the Spurs defense ragged. <clears throat> His movement had been so good that I think at the end of the day, it actually, without him being on the field, it actually opened it up for Balotelli. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, just give a ton of credit to Sturridge for playing a fantastic game. His first start since August. Uh, and then giving up to Balotelli once again, like we said, for not skying the uh, skying the sitter, and you know made a nice little move to get where he needed to be. And hey, you know, sixteen million pounds is kind of like the uh, <laughs> if it gets us in the Champions League, it'll be just like the uh, JD Drew Grand Slam for Boston. There you go. That's what that's was where it the, uh, the the eighty million dollar Grand Slam. I think. Yes. <laughs> Oh, Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer <laughs> will block Fenway, Fenway, FSG knows how to pick them, right? Yeah. Oh, got to <laughs> love them. Uh, let's head over to Stamford Bridge, uh, where it was, again, Chelsea 1, Everton 0. Tim Howard, in his return to goal for Roberto Martinez's side, was fantastic, almost Belgian-esque. But Willian put in a dribbler that took a couple deflections in the 89th minute that saw Jose Mourinho's side get all three points at home and keep their sterling home record intact. Of course, the big controversy in the match, Wes, Gareth Barry being sent off after his second yellow, which of course came in the middle of a bit of a kerfuffle that many people saw as uh, Branislav Ivanovic for Chelsea was going to get a retroactive banning uh, by the FA for possibly putting someone in a chokehold. Uh, of course, the FA came out today and said, "Nah, we're, we're not. Uh, we're not going to do that." But uh, you two teams, you guys should control your players more. You should really be doing that. Um, and so, I think the thing we can all take from this is uh, Jose Mourinho can never complain about anything for the rest of the season, but he will. Yeah, please hold your breath on that one. Until yeah. Or okay. Yeah. Um, um, but again, this is as we said earlier. This is a game. Championship sides find a way to win at the end. Hearts breaking all over Everton, of course. Our favorite, you know, Raj Bennett. Uh, just terrible loss for them. They played really well. I will say this, though. Having watched Spurs play this year and now watching Everton play, now I can fully appreciate what it's like to watch a team have good pace going forward and what it looks like when a team doesn't have that. Because right now, Everton really have nothing. Romelu Lukaku, I think, got caught off sides four times in this match, four times in the Merseyside Derby. Um, just th- very good defensive ever- by Everton. A few goal-scoring opportunities, but man, they they have issues going forward, and they shouldn't. I'll tell you, this year, uh, Mourinho looks like a genius for uh, getting $30 million for that guy, doesn't he? Oh, God, yes. Uh, uh, Lukaku, I don't take it wrong. What is Lukaku, 21, 22 years old? I mean, he could still have a massive future ahead of him. I do kind of feel that um, the fact that Everton ended up with Lukaku doesn't really bode that well for Lukaku. (laughs) Yes. I mean, if you're really one of these guys who is going to be the next great elite striker in the world, why is one of the richest clubs in the world selling you? And why is the main team in for you, Everton? Yeah, true. So, you know, um, it's just something to keep an eye on. But, you know, Mourinho, hey, you're looking smart as hell once again. Uh, you know, basically trades out Lukaku for Costa. 
And that's a fantastic deal at this point. Um, It's just, it's one of those seasons in Everton where, uh, don't don't they have a Murphy on that team? (laughs) A Murphy? Um... I was going to say, because uh, if they do... He brought his law with him. Anything that can go wrong <laughs> will go wrong. They have a McCarthy. I believe. I believe that's the Irish Murphy. Uh, there, there used to be a Danny Murphy who played for Liverpool. So we'll we'll just call it the Danny Murphy law. Okay. All right. Um, but Murphy's law, of course, says even if it can go wrong, will indeed go wrong. And that's basically what's happened to Everton this season. Um, injuries. Uh, some of the guys that they did buy didn't quite pan out. Um, just just has been a tough, tough, tough season for the blue the blue side of Mersey. Um, the literally right now the one thing they can hang their hat on is they didn't lose to Liverpool this year. Yes, <clears throat> they drew them twice. Um, so take that for what it's worth, uh, Toffees. But you know Chelsea. You, know, you said earlier, championship teams find a way to do what they got to do. And the uh, the Blues found a way to get it done. They got it done. And they now have a pretty big lead at the top of the table. Because unlike their rivals, Manchester City, they are finding ways to get points where they probably shouldn't. Yeah, that was big. I mean, up until that Willian goal... We were talking about a five-point lead with 14 to play. Now we're talking about a seven-point lead with 14 to play. I don't know if it's insurmountable, but it's pretty damn close at this point. Speaking of which, let's take a look at the Barclays Premier League table as it stands right now. Uh, Chelsea, again, your leader is at 59 points. Manchester City in second with 52. Manchester United currently in third. With 47, but this is where the logjam starts. Southampton in 4th with 46. Arsenal in 5th with 45. Tottenham in 6th with 43. Liverpool in 7th with 42. This is go- These five spots are going to change basically game to game at this point. My God, is it going to be an exciting end of this season. Just amazing, amazing narrative coming up. Uh, and as we head, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, and of course, Liverpool's next two uh, league games, I believe are Man City and Southampton. So we'll, we'll know a little bit more about their chances in a couple weeks. Liverpool at this point, uh, 15 straight games unbeaten in regulation. Uh, they're only lost the, um, the loss to Chelsea in the second leg of the, uh, of the Capital One Cup. So, the most, the most that's their only cups. loss right now. Have not lost a league game in a good while. They are the form team in the Premier League right now. Out of the last six matches, uh, they've taken 14 of 18 points. They are your informed team of the moment. And they're going to have to keep it up. And I said, you know, I said around Christmas, Ed, they're going to have to play nearly a flawless second half. Um, you know, drawing some games. At least you're getting a point and not losing points. But Liverpool have been playing as well as they've played all year, obviously, to this point. Um, they've been playing very well. And I just I, I like the momentum. I like the direction. It's just, is it going to be too little too late? Because the big thing, they do still have head-to-head matches with Man United, Southampton, and Arsenal. 
So three of those teams that they're trying to catch, they do get head-to-head. They're done playing Tottenham. They took maximum points off Tottenham, so you can't ask for any more than that. Oh, just fifth place beckon for Brendan Rodgers' side. Uh, as we hit the bottom of your heart, the relegation zone, Queen's Book Raisins are currently in 17th outside of the relegation zone uh, on goal differential alone. They have 22 points. In 18th is Aston Villa. They have 22 points. Burnley in 19th with 21. And Leicester, a team that looks doomed to head straight back down to the championship, have just 17. Well, as we uh, move on to the next stuff, uh, we will really quickly mention, because we got to keep moving here, Premier League just announced a new uh, record-breaking television program deal uh, that's for £5.14 billion or $7.9 billion. It's a three-year deal with Sky Sports and BT Sports from 2016 to 2019. Uh, And I think the only thing that uh, we can say about that is, now you guys are rolling in money. Maybe you guys can uh, bring ticket prices down a little bit. Yeah, because what do you what what do billionaires do when they're given money? They give it away in other places. Yeah, not quite. Um, they should. They doubtfully will. Yes. Uh, you know, and the great thing is, all this means now is that uh, the the outside of England teams are just going to gouge Premier League teams even more for more money now. Oh yeah, it's it's this yeah. is this is why you're seeing managers get fired. Speaking of which, uh, Nigel Pearson in. Um, Paul Lambert out. Uh, Nigel Pearson stays in Leicester uh, despite being bottom of the table and despite having a bit of a run-in over the weekend with Crystal Palace midfielder James MacArthur as they they sparred along the touchline. Pearson seemed to be having a little more fun with it than MacArthur did. And uh, to the point where it seemed like he was actually out at one point, and then the actual Lester <laughs> website had to come in and say, no, actually, we haven't let him go. No, no, guys. Uh, one man who, though, is out is Aston Villa headman Paul Lambert. Unfortunately, his side, which has struggled to score goals of any sort this year, have scored just 12 league goals in 25 matches. That's the lowest in Premier League history up to this point. Paul Lambert, he's done a good job, but he is out. Any thoughts on those two uh, those two stories, Wes? We can't call them both firing, so we'll just call them stories. Paul Lambert's an interesting one because just a couple years ago, you know, he was seen as this really forward-thinking, uh, you know, fantastic manager who brought Aston Villa up near the uh, top half of the table. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they were doing some really good things uh, at the Midlands. But for whatever reason this season, <clears throat> hey, well, of course, here, here's one of your big reasons. Two years ago, Christian Menteke was one of the, you know, most lethal strikers in the Premier League. True. Where's he been the last two years? Uh, he was hurt to start this year, as you like to point out to me sometimes. But, yeah, he, he hasn't really been informed this year. No, uh, and last season he wasn't informed. Um, and, of course, last season was surprising because, you know, he was seen as uh, potentially the number one striker for Belgium going into the World Cup. Well, and then the emergence, of course, of Lukaku and Benteke. You know, basically, Lukaku getting really good minutes, you know, for an informed Everton side a season ago. Benteke just really fell off the map. Injuries didn't help him any. 
Uh, then, of course, the emergence of Divock Origi, the future Liverpool striker. That kind of put him to third in the pecking order for Belgium. Yeah. It's, it's almost like his confidence was just shattered, and he's never gotten it back. But, you know, when when you're a side who's goal-hungry anyway, as we obviously you just spoke about Villa being, when the guy who's supposed to be your your best available player to score for you isn't doing it, mm-hmm. man, it leaves it just leaves you such a tough job. And uh, and of course, somebody's got to pay the price. And during the season, it can't really be the player, so it's going to be the manager. Yeah, tough times going on at Birmingham right now. And as we alluded to with those big contracts, even more incentive for for uh, owners to rush and try to keep their teams in the Premier League to make sure that their coffers are staying full. Something that doesn't really fill coffers all that much, the FA Cup. Uh, We are going to have an FA Cup weekend this Saturday, Sunday, and of course Monday Night Football. Premier League taking the weekend off. Your fifth round proper schedule looks like this on Saturday. It will be West Brom versus West Ham. Uh, Bradford City from League One will be hosting the Black Cats of Sunderland. Uh, Blackburn Rovers from the Championship will be hosting Stoke at Ewood Park. Uh, Derby County will be hosting Reading in a clash of championship sides. Crystal Palace will be inviting Liverpool to Selhurst Park. Where nothing bad has ever happened to Liverpool, Wes. No, no, no. Um, <clears throat> as far as an FA Cup fifth round match, you know, obviously, if you just look at it real quick on paper, Liverpool, Liverpool, Crystal Palace. All right, whatever. Yes, I, I'm, I'm absolutely terrified of Selhurst Park. <laughs> so it is a, it is a, <clears throat> it has been a house of uh, horrors the last two times Liverpool have visited there. Um, so we'll see what happens. I guess. Uh. Can Alan Pardew continue his winning ways at Palace? Uh, Aston- now, now, luckily, there is the good thing. Pardew, we've been kicking <laughs> his ass for a long time. So, you know, may, maybe Pardew will be the uh, Lakeshore Liverpool need. Uh, Aston Villa, Leicester on Sunday. Uh, they will have to see how Aston Villa get on with their new head man. Arsenal will be hosting championship side Middlesbrough at the Emirates. And Monday Night Football, Preston North End hosts Manchester United at Deepdale. Come on, Preston North End. Preston North End, of course, Ed, where former United legend David Moyes got his start. I love David Moyes. Are they going to win one for Moyes? I hope they do. I really hope they do. And me too. That would be wonderful. Uh, Let's transition now quickly to the United States, where it has been a busy time for two teams. Uh, First, the men's national team gets a much-needed win against not great side Panama. They get a 2-0 win in uh, StubHub Center in Carson, California. Goals by Michael Bradley and Clint Dempsey. well, and again, while this wasn't the toughest of competition, uh, Bradley had an absolute Olympico scoring on a set piece uh, from a corner. Josie Altor wanted to take credit, and you know, maybe with his confidence, maybe we should have given it to him. But again, Michael Bradley, good to see him back in form after injuries pretty much derailed his entire 2014 season. And then Clint Dempsey scoring—that's normal for him. But Gazi Zardes. This kid might be pretty good, Wes. I mean, he had an amazing through ball to Dempsey, and he was playing out of position that game. 
he looked really good and has that sort of distinctive hair. And I love when they asked him about his hair. They he gave the best answer ever. He said, "Hey, you know, it's so my uh, my grandparents when they're watching the games, they can pick out where I am." Well, there you go. I mean, that's a young man who obviously has it figured out. Yes. <laughs> um, but again, you know, not uh, not a great start. Uh, Chris Wondolowski, not a good sign for him. Uh, DeAndre Edlin took, picked up a big of a knock in this matchup, but he looks to be okay overall. Uh, but again, Wes, a, a much needed, not big, but much needed win for the United States and Jurgen Klinsmann. Well, Ed, and um, <clears throat> speaking of Jurgen Klinsmann, you know, rumors coming out in the United Kingdom. Klinsman, one of the uh, top candidates by the bookmakers to take the Aston Villa job. Ooh. Behind, of course, uh, a, a great hero of yours, Tim Sherwood. I love Tim Sherwood. <laughs> and uh, Glenn Hoddle, who is uh, oh, a, another former Arsenal manager, actually, Hoddle was. Um, actually, I don't know if he was a manager. I know he was a really good player for Tottenham. I'll put it that way, Glenn Hoddle. There you go. Um, you know, with Klinsman, uh, kind of what they're saying, why would why would Klinsman leave to take that job? Um, you know, ESPN FC saying there have been some signs of unrest among the U.S. fan base. Banners at the recent friendly in Panama reading Red Card the Coach and J.K. out. Um, so while they're saying uh, probably not time to move, uh, the rumors are out there. And that's just, it's kind of surprising, you know. A few years ago, he had a chance to become the manager potentially at Spurs and turned it down to stay with the United States. And, you know, I guess it would be absolutely shocking for him to leave the United States now to go coach Aston Villa and try to get out of the relegation zone. Yeah, certainly. I, I don't see him doing that. As, even even if times are tough at the USMNT, I, I don't see him going to Aston Villa. If he would go to a Premier League side, I'd say Spurs. But I, I, I just don't think he wants to deal with that. And why why should he? He doesn't, he doesn't need to. You don't you don't want to blood in Clinzy now at Spurs, do you? No, no, I'm no, I'm good. I'm oh, good with Pochettino. I was about to say everybody at Spurs is happy. Um maybe just showing, you know, that uh I don't know, it might be good for Klinsman to be mentioned in that talk. Yeah, you know, just to maybe keep uh maybe keep the US on their on their toes a little bit and say, hey, you know, You've got a guy who's done great things in the world of coaching, you know, just because a few results haven't gone your way, maybe you need to back the hell off. Yeah. That's so that's I, right. I, I, I support that uh, I support the German bomber at this point. There you go. That's that's good for you, you expat. Um let's move on to the other national team, the women's national team, who was blank. Yes. yes, the real one got a real awakening when they played France this past week. A 2-0 loss in France and uh, a lot of questions being raised right now uh, for Coach Jill Ellis. Uh, Hope Solo was not in this game. She has been suspended uh, by the U.S. women's national team. Uh, Ashlyn Harris got the start uh, right now. And this was a match between the two of the top three teams in the world in this friendly. Uh, but all reports coming out of France was that the United States was absolutely dominated, had no real answers, no real way to get Alex Morgan involved in the action. And uh, this is a tough result. Competition's not going to get any easier as they start, uh, or sorry, it's not going to get much more tough than this. It's actually going to slack up a little bit in the lead up to the World Cup for the women. But this is not a good sign, Wes. 
<clears throat> it's not, but you know, Alex Morgan's coming off injury. True. Uh, you know, she needs a little time to get herself back ready to go. Um, I don't think the team that you saw on the field in that match is going to be the team that starts everything. Um, if I'm, oh, please, Lord, tell me if I'm wrong here. I believe Megan Rapino is out injured at the moment, too. Uh, I believe you're right, and I believe uh, Sydney LaRue is also out injured. I mean, those are big. Those are big, really, really important players for the United States. Um, so, you know, take it for what it's worth. Yeah, you got a loss. But, you know, it's, it was a shorthanded United States team. This is not what you're expecting to take, you know, to the World Cup. So don't read too much into it. Okay. All right. Good take there, uh, Wes. Let's head over to uh, Juventus now, where uh, there's a little bit of controversy going on in Serie A because it's if we're not selling all our players, we got to make the league interesting some other way. Um, Juventus beat AC Milan Saturday. 3-1 to one in Turin. Uh, Carlos Tevez's opening goal was not without controversy, according to Project Bab. Initial replays seemed to suggest the Argentinian's foot was offside, but then another clip seemed to show he was behind the defender. Uh, Adriano Galliani, the Milan CEO, pointed out that Juve are the only Serie A club who produce and control their own match footage. He felt a conscious decision had been made not to show better angles of the goal. Uh, the club then took to Twitter and uh, showed a picture of the offsides and said, uh, it, it translates from the Italian, in your view, are the lines produced by Juventus on this replay parallel? We don't think so. Uh, there was also this explanation on the club's official website. Milan do not intend to stir up controversy. Yeah, right. But make a clear and precise request. At this moment, the 10 Serie A games are put together by six Sky directors, three media set directors, and one independent director. Milan asks that from next season, all the directors are independent and do not come from broadcasters who have bought the rights to the Serie A matches. Um, Wes, do you, do you think there's any truth to this whatsoever that, that Juve might have actually doctored the footage? I literally, I have no idea what they're doing over there. Um, I mean, from what I hear, no one has any money, so how can they pay to have the footage doctored? Doesn't Juve still have a little bit of money? I think if anyone has money, it's Juve and Roma. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I think you're getting a lot of sour grapes from AC Milan just because they, you know, they stink. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm not putting a ton of stock into it. I'm just. I think it's a little corny. I don't care. Poor, poor Syria. How, how else can I put it? I don't care. How, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, speaking of mighty, but they have finally just arisen. Just wait till Pogba's going after the summer. Thank God, Pogba, come, come to Spurs, Pogba. You, you love it. Um, America, Pogba, come to America. There you go. MLS, one of us. Uh, let's head down to Africa where Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivorians, they finally won something, Wes. They beat the Black Stars of Ghana on penalties to win the 2015 Africa Cup of Nations. In penalties, shades of Liverpool earlier this season in the Capital One Cup, the penalty shootout lasted 11 rounds and saw the keepers taking it. The final penalty was actually taken by the Ivorian Coast goalkeeper, Bubakar Bari. I hope I pronounced your name right. Uh, and the Ivory Coast finally... Get, oh, we're big in Africa. Uh, of course, 
uh, the Ivory Coast lost on penalties in uh, 2012 to Zambia in the same tournament. Uh, they also lost to Egypt in the 2006 finals on penalties. Of course, DDA Drogba, maybe Cote d'Ivoire's most famous player, um, missed one of the penalties in the 2006 shootout and missed a penalty um, in regulation in the 2012 game against Zambia. So, Wes, it, we, it's been our joke. Cote d'Ivoire wins nothing. They flamed out the World Cup. Do, do they get any credit for winning this one with the quote-unquote golden generation of players? Yeah, I mean, African Cup of Nations, I mean, that's – I mean, it doesn't get much bigger down there, obviously. Um, I mean, that's basically like winning your Euro, winning your CONCACAF. Um, I mean, that that is a big deal for them. Uh, it's a big deal for that group. You know, so it doesn't go down that they never really won anything. Yes. Um, I mean, it's just, it does kind of blow you away sometimes with that group. You know, you've got guys like uh, Serge Aurier, Carlo Torre, um, you know, Czech Teote, Yaya Torre, you know, Solomon Kalou, uh, Wilfred Bonet, and of course, everyone's favorite African, Gervinio. Oh, he, he, he didn't Gervinio badly in this tournament. He's Gervinio good. He's in Gervinio. But, I mean, you've got all these talented players. At some point, you just, you know, you figure it's going to come together for them. I'm, I'm glad the Ivory Coast won. Hey, it's, it's, nice to, it's nice to see happy elephants. Yeah, absolutely. We, I, th- I think we like the Ivory Coast here. We don't wish them bad. It's just been for oh. so long we've wanted them to win something, and they never have. They, they just they, – they are another team that has a uh, – have a long history of Clemsoning. Or Englanding. They are the Clemson of uh, the African continent. Yeah. Take that, England. Balls in your court, golden generation. No, the golden generation of England's dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's over. Gerard and Lampard are both gone. It's over. Oh, such a yeah, sad time. They were the last holdouts. Well, as we finish, that's our uh, going to be our soccer coverage, at least in the sports section. Uh, we do want to take a quick second to say that uh, this podcast, again, is being presented to you guys by NGSC Sports. You can check them out at NGSCSports.com, where they never stop. Uh, let's transition out of college basketball, Wes. And, you know, it's it's been a sad week uh, for the fraternity of college basketball coaches and just college basketball in general. Uh, of course, news coming uh, earlier this week on Sunday. Uh, Dean Smith, legendary coach at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, died at the age of 83. His health was failing him. He was starting to deal with Alzheimer's, and and unfortunately, he does pass away uh, on Sunday. Uh, he won two national titles with North Carolina. Um, of course, coached great players like Michael Jordan, um, so many others. In those that, that glory days, really, of Carolina in those early '80s to about the mid '90s, um, and is was sure, really sure times they had no uh, no academic scandals or anything. Going on. No, that's true, um, but just you know, I believe he was you know he was he was an institution, and that's really the best thing you can say about him. He was an institution, so it, that's terrible. Of course, also just you know, yesterday we we lose Jerry Tarkanian, uh, former UNLV coach. He passed away. At the age of 84, um, uh, he was another good one. He had those running rebels 
in the early 90s, which, you know, you want to talk about scandal, they might have had a few. But he played an exciting brand of basketball. He posted in his 30 years of coaching an overall record of 761 and 202. Of course, he won the national championship during the 1989-1990 season, uh, went undefeated in the next season until losing in the Final Four to Duke. Uh, two fantastic coaches, Wes, and the uh, the world is a slightly sadder place because of that. And what was interesting about it is um, two excellent legendary coaches who are viewed on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes. You know, and I, I wasn't even joking, really, when I said, you know, Dean Smith at Carolina, there was no academic controversy. Yeah. Um, now, you know, if you ask NC State fans, of course, Dean Smith cheated as well as anyone ever. We know, we know, we know, Tony Downey, we know. Yeah. Um, but you know what? No one's ever been able to prove it. And I don't think anybody's <laughs> going to at this point. I don't think they're going to, exactly. You know, I mean, yes, he, he, he had a few knuckleheads. But, you know, Dean Smith, and I am far from a Carolina fan, folks. I think most of y'all know that by now if you listen to this. Part of the um, Dean Smith was a special human being. Yes. Who, if you, if Dean Smith never won a basketball game in his life, he lived a great life full of service. Um, if you look at uh, his work in, you know, he was as big a part of integration in North Carolina as anyone mm-hmm. just because he put, you know, he was one of those guys, he put his money where his mouth was. And he really, in those turbulent 1960s, he did something about it. He didn't just say, you know, well, you know, we need to recruit black basketball players. He did it. Charlie Scott, first uh, black ACC player, Dean Smith recruited him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all those legendary stories you hear about uh, what Dean Smith did for the black community in the Chapel Hill uh, area. Um you know, helped to integrate the lunch counters, did did all this stuff in the early 1960s that was so unpopular for white males in the South to do. Dean Smith did it. Um, he really helped usher in a, an era of tolerance and an era of equality in, in North Carolina. And it really helped, of course, that, uh, you know, he was a really good basketball coach. That, yeah, that helps. That helps because that gives you the platform. And Dean Smith is one of those people who he used the platform maybe as well as anyone has ever used the platform. Mm-hmm. You know, he he hated – Dean Smith hated to receive credit. Um, he always – and, you know, you talk about him with a basketball team. I mean, this guy had Michael Jordan and – you know, Sam Perkins and, you know, Brad Darty all on the same basketball team and Kenny Smith. I mean, Carolina had some amazing, amazing talent. Obviously, Michael Jordan considered the best player who's ever lived. And, you know, here's the guy who coached him, won all these games, and Dean Smith would take zero credit for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, he always said, I didn't make Michael Jordan anything. I just gave him an opportunity, and he, you know, he did all the work. He did everything. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Um, A pair of national championships, you know, they won. It wasn't me. It was all the players, you know, that 93 North Carolina national title team, they lost, or excuse me, they defeated in the finals that 93 Michigan team. 
God Almighty, when you look back in that group, I mean, they, they were, were good. They were sophomores. Yeah. And this day and age, you're like, Jesus Christ, they had five sophomores who, you know, three of them were all Americans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two of them were really, really good basketball players. <clears throat> and Dean Smith took a team who, you know, in hindsight, I mean, you had Eric Montross, who was a serviceable NBA center. You had George Lynch, who was an undersized power forward. And then you had a bunch of guys who never saw the NBA. Yeah. And he beat the Fab Five. And he just, he outcoached the hell out of Steve Fisher that night. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, the Kansas team that they beat in the semifinals, probably more talented. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dean Smith was just, he was a fantastic coach. And the man knew exactly what he was doing. He always had a plan. Um, I, I made the joke the other day to one of my Carolina friends, and, and the good thing is he took a time out to heaven with him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, always legendarily, Dean Smith always had a time out left, it seemed like. But, yeah. um, you know, just so many great stories about Dean Smith, and there's there's not really much bad you can say about him, NC State fans notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. But the, course, the worst like, thing you could probably say about him is that he implemented the, the boring four corners offense, which led to us getting a shot clock in college basketball. So even that worst thing led to something and, positive. And and of course, in in my in my world, the guy who perfected the four corners. Is a Rocky Mount guy. It's Phil Ford, so that's yes. awesome, man. It was so we we love that obviously at Rocky Mount because uh, that gave us a little notoriety, you know that uh, maybe one of his best ever players was a Rocky Mount guy. Um, <clears throat> so there's Dean Smith, and then on the other side of the spectrum, another legend, as you said, Tark the Shark. Oh yeah, Jerry Tarkanian, who Dean Smith, who lived a life free of controversy. And then there's Jerry Tarkanian, <laughs> I don't think would have been able to function without the controversy. Oh, yeah. Chomping uh, on that towel. Brother, I'm going to tell you, those uh, those running Rebel teams, that 91 team that lost to Duke in the semifinals, mm-hmm. I don't know if to this day that's not the best college basketball team I ever saw. Yeah, that would, they were really good. Oh, my God. I mean, you had, a, you had Larry Johnson coming back as a senior national player of the year. You had Stacy Augman, who had a long, prosperous NBA career. You had a guy, Anderson Hunt, who was the best shooter in college basketball that year. You had a big man in David Butler who could play his ass off. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you had Greg Anthony, oh, yeah. who I believe won one or two NBA Defensive Player of the Year awards. You had four guys from that team drafted in the first round. They were loaded. Um, and you know, I still find it a travesty that Duke beat them, but Hey, congratulations, Duke. <laughs> whatever. Um, but you know, the year before, of course they won a national title came out the next year. We're undefeated going into the final four. Um, <clears throat> just some amazing groups. And then other than that, I mean, he had some really, really good teams at UNLV turn around, made Fresno state into a relevant national power, mm-hmm. uh, especially on the, what we'll call the West coast power. They never really made it nationally, but I mean, it's Fresno state. Who are you getting there? Yeah. Um, Tarkanian specialized in, well, you know, Dean Smith kind of had the guys who were the good citizens more yeah. or less. <laughs> Tarkanian kind of specialized in that kid who others overlooked or for whatever reason, they were trouble kids who maybe, you know, couldn't couldn't stay in at North Carolina or Duke. Yeah. Um, hey, come to Las Vegas. 
Well, I mean, you know, <coughs> it worked. Yeah, exactly. It worked. We'll put him in Vegas, but it worked. And he he was able to get the best out of those guys and focus them. Um, of course, he had controversy all around him. But I mean, if you if you put an elite basketball team in Las Vegas, yeah, I mean, what are we really expecting to happen here? <laughs> it's true. But uh, for Tark, Tark was a great one, man. I, I I saw a really good documentary on Tark. Uh, ESPN did a really good thirty for thirty on them a few years ago, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, Tark overcame a lot of things, man. He was an Armenian Armenian immigrant, um, you know, certainly not your normal, you know, all American golden boy. Um, but that guy had grit, man. I'll give him that. He was a gritty dude, and uh, yeah, he coached some hellaciously fun basketball to watch. And we will miss both of them, but man, they, those were some fun, fun teams. Those two head coaches manned yeah. up throughout the years. Great, great, great service, guys. Um, let's go now to another team that also might be sort of running into some trouble and, and might have just taken a very cynical way out. Um, Syracuse University, uh, a couple days ago, actually about a week ago now, has uh, they self-imposed a postseason ban on its men's basketball team this season in response to an ongoing NCAA investigation into potential past infractions by the team. There's been the whole uh, Fab Mello thing. There's been James Sutherland in recent years. A lot of controversy around Syracuse. And by golly, you know, just I, 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 you got to appreciate them standing up and, and taking this and taking this sanction in the middle of a 15 and 7 season that might not see them make the NCAA tournament anyway. Yeah, I think they're 16 and 8 now. I mean, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you, you can't totally say, well, you know, they were horrible this season, but this was definitely not a legendarily good Syracuse team. I don't even know if you would call this a good Syracuse team. I don't think I would. No, because we've seen really good Syracuse yes. teams. We've seen in the last three years. We've seen really good Syracuse oh, teams. Brother, yeah, and they're down this year. And uh, Jim Beheim, Beheim to me has always been a little. I don't want to call him slimy, but I just see Beheim to me just kind of seems a little pussy. He, he's halfway to Calipari. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I don't think he's on that level of sleazeball. But you know, he just. I mean, he see, he's whiny. He whines a lot. You know, he just kind of cuts that figure to you where it's like, everybody's out to get me. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously you've had some you've had some infractions somewhere. Own up to it. Do what you got to do. But, you know, it was, let's put it this way, it was a lot easier this year to self-impose. Oh, yeah. Than it was last year. Oh, certainly. Five in the country. And I mean, that's, is it, is it smart and cynical at the same time? Like, and, and, and should the NCAA be able to, to, to take that into account? Like, wait, 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 wait a minute. You guys are self-imposing a ban halfway through a mediocre season. And that's supposed to make us go easy on you. Not, not, not so fast. And believe me, I am not one to take the NCAA side in almost any situation. But I I think you have to look at the cynical nature of this and say, "Mm, yeah, we're not going to let you get off that easy. Well, and let's see what the NCAA does. Um, 
you know, I mean, you've, you, you've almost got to assume, you know, that at least somebody in the NCAA is watching the games. And, you know, I mean, that does have to come up like, well, you know, guys, yeah, they self-impose, but, you know, if they were 20 and 2, <laughs> would they have self-imposed? Nope. Because obviously the answer is no, they would not have self-imposed at 20 and 2. <laughs> um, but at 15 and 7 and seeing what you had and what the ACC had, it was a whole lot easier to self-impose at that point. Um, it'll be interesting to see what comes down the pipe on this to see maybe if they receive a second-year postseason ban. Um, it, it'll, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm holding out hope that maybe the NCAA will do something right. Mm-hmm. Not holding my breath, but holding Shouldn't. out. Um, and, of course, Syracuse actually still sixth in the ACC, 7-4. and four. They're the last team uh, with a winning conference record. Um, so right now... The ACC, still very good, starting to look a little thin at the top. Just just a little bit. Right now it's for UVA, Notre Dame, Duke, Louisville, and North Carolina. And not a whole lot else really going on after that, unfortunately. Uh, uh, let's move on to Major League Baseball where there was one deal. Uh, and the Padres becoming big spenders this offseason, Wes. Uh, they get James Shields on a $75 million four-year deal. Of course, James Shields having a good season at Kansas City. And uh, one of the side notes of this uh, free agent signing, uh, two players who were actually traded for each other, James Shields and Will Myers in the Kansas City to Tampa Bay trade, are now playing together on San Diego. So just just a a bit of a crazy note there. But uh, San Diego quietly starting to become a power here? Well, San Diego, of course, um, founded by the Germans in 1904. No, no, no. No? No. Don't try to impress me. Spanish settlers, San San Diego, Uh, which of course means a whale's vagina. uh, The translation was lost years ago. (sighs) Um... I, I really don't know what the hell to say about this. Normally, I would say, well, you know, going to a place like San Diego, Shields went for the money. But they got him under market value. Yeah. And it's a pitcher's park. It is a pitcher's park. But, I mean, he could have gone to a few pitcher's parks. I really, really, really on this end, I think Boston dodged a bullet. Mm-hmm. Of course, Boston was in on that. Um, Fenway is not a pitcher's park, and he gives up a lot of fly balls. Mm-hmm. I really think it would have been scary seeing him in Fenway being our number one. Um, as far as San Diego, I mean, I guess they're building something? Well, I mean, your outfield right now is Justin Upton, Will Myers, and Matt Kemp. That's that's not yeah. a bad place to start. No. But you're in a pitcher's park. Well, and and to be fair, last year's San Diego team, if I can if I can pull it up real quick here because I just had the stats in front of me, uh, batting they were they were last in the league in runs, batting average, on base percentage, and slugging. But in pitching, they were fourth in ERA, ninth in quality starts, eighth in WHIP, seventh in batting average allowed. Yeah, I mean maybe they're just gonna have to win a lot of three two games. I think. 
Well, and the other problem is, buddy, that is not an easy division. No. I mean, you've got the defending champs, and you've got the team with the biggest payroll in baseball. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's ambitious. I mean, I guess if, if you're San Diego, you know, if you're ever going to do something, I guess, you know, now's the time. You've got a good young pitching staff. You know, you, you've traded and gotten, you know, what on paper looks like a really good outfield. Um, I mean, hell, take a shot, I guess. I mean, shit, you know, why do you, why do you own a baseball team or play the game? I mean, every now and then you got to take a shot. Yeah, you can only rebuild your farm system for so long as Chicago. Yeah, so um, I say, what the hell, go for it. I'm just, I'm, I'm still just a little surprised that Shield signed out there. Mm-hmm. And maybe they really sold him on something. Um, I would love to see San Diego knock off those two out west. I think it'd be really cool to see someone like San Diego knock off the Dodgers. Oh yeah. Um, just as you know, the overall smugness of Los Angeles, but, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. I'm, I'm down with it. I'm digging it and, uh, hope it works out for them. Yeah. We'll, we'll check how that goes. Of course, uh, also at San Diego, former Red Sox legend, Will Middlebrooks. So we have a lot of reasons to, to keep track of them, obviously. Of course, Will Myers, um, I saw Will Myers play twice in high school, um, both times against Brian Goodwin. And um, Will Myers was, he was a stud, dude. He was a stud at uh, High Point Wesleyan uh, playing high school baseball. So, Well, now he's playing in the majors at San Diego. Uh, let's now hit the zeitgeist uh, for a couple of sad stories. One, uh, we go to Egypt, back to our football. Uh, at least 22 fans, and I believe now the total is actually 25, um, we have been confirmed dead after a riot uh, prece- uh, preceding a football game uh, outside of uh, Zamalek um, when they were playing against their city rivals, ENPPI. Of course, the, uh, the Egyptian Premier League was suspended in February 2012 after 74 fans were killed in a riot at a match in Port Said. Um, fans blame police for forcing them through a narrow fenced in passageway. Of course, only 5,000 fans were actually even allowed in the stadium. And they just recently, I believe back in December, were actually allowing fans in the stadiums at all. So there's a lot of craziness uh, going on right now in Egypt. Of course, a, a country in the throes of political turmoil and you're seeing it here. And it's, it is a shame and a tragedy that, that this kind of thing has happened um, around the game of football, and and there's not a whole lot to say. You know, Bob Bradley was there a few years ago. West, former U.S. men's national team head coach, he was in Egypt as their national coach. I, I don't know right now if there's any way Egyptian football can keep going as long as the political nature of the country continues like it is, and that's that's really sad and depressing to say. Yeah, um, you know, as a fan of the English game, obviously we weren't watching it when all the tragedies oh, happened, God. especially in the 80s. Um, but, you know, as, as a fan of Liverpool, I, I know the history of Hillsborough. Mm-hmm. I know the history of Heisel. Um, they're just horrible, horrible days that are a blight on the um, subconscious of football fans. Mm-hmm. Um and the FA took steps to, to mitigate those in the future. Exactly. I the, don't yeah. see that happening in Egypt. The problem in Egypt is that it's a lot of political things. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, the thing about sport is in times of political turmoil, sport can bring people together, Mm -hmm. but it can also completely tear you apart because that just, that gives you, that gives you the spark to throw to the gasoline. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it may start as, you know, I'm pissed because, uh, you know, my third striker missed an open goal. He, he pulled a bala, you know, mm-hmm. but then it starts with that and it ends up with, you know, 22 people dead in the streets. Yeah. I, I and you know, we see it, we see it. We're not immune to it here in America or North America. I mean, Jesus, what was it? Two or three years ago, we saw in Vancouver when the Canucks lost the Stanley cup, there was mass riot in the streets. We still see it uh, a lot when college, Teams either win a, a national championship in football or basketball. I, I it happened outside, uh, you know, on Franklin Street when I was in school in 2009 at Chapel Hill. Maybe not to an insane extent, but there was fires, there was part celebration, there was rioting everywhere, and it, that that's that's in good situations. And now you take that into a politically charged climate like Egypt, and, and you tell people, you know. It's a 30,000-person stadium, and we can only let 5,000 of you in for a match against your rivals. It's a powder keg at that point. It is. Um, And the way things have been going down, I kind of agree. I I don't see how you can continue to let it happen because you're you're asking for more. Because now everyone who goes to a match, it's in the back of their head, you know, what's going to happen with the police, what's going to happen here, what's going to happen there. Your best bet at that point is to just get everyone out of that situation and take care of your take care of your own business before, you know, you worry about bringing that back. Certainly. I, I think that the most depressing part of this article I'm reading from the BBC now is, uh, despite the violence, which also left at least 20 other people injured, the match went ahead and ended in a 1-1 draw. Like, guys, just do the right thing, guys. 1-1 draws are terrible. <laughs> they are. But, I mean, just, just come on, guys. Do the right thing. Just, just I, I know it sucks, and I, it sucks for the people in Egypt who need an escape from all the shit they're going through right now. I'm, I'm sorry. You, you've got to put people's lives first, though. You cannot have this happen. You're right. You're right. Uh, let's go to more human rights abuse and the World Cup and guitar. Say, are, we go- are we going to Dubai? Yeah, we are actually. Uh, kind of. Kind of, sort of. Uh, FIFA has gone ahead and extended the television deal with all its current people, which includes in the United States, Fox, uh, through the 2026 World Cup. Uh, last round of bidding was just for 2018-2022, and now without warning, they've gone ahead and gone ahead and given them the uh, the 2026 World Cup as well. Uh, the extended agreement also includes the Women's World Cup in 2023, a uh, couple under 20 World Cups, uh, and a couple other minor tournaments, including the uh, FIFA Confederations Cup in 2025. Now, some people are, are very angry about this. You know, I, I'm sure if I was a Bristol uh, executive in Bristol right now, I would be thoroughly pissed off that I lost the chance to bid on the World Cup and get it back. But the cynical nature of this is, Wes, doesn't this basically guarantee that the 2022 World Cup will stay in Qatar, will be held in the winter, and this is a peace offering to the network saying, we know it's going to suck. Here's an extra set for free. Yeah. 
Well, now it depends on where that one's going to be. Yeah. Is that going to guarantee that the U.S. gets it? I, and here's another question. You know, we talked about, you know, you, you bring up the U.S. Uh, they actually, uh, I, I believe it was uh, the, the Prince Ali uh, who's going up against Blatter in the next set of uh, presidential elections for FIFA. The U United States Soccer Federation is supporting him instead of Blatter. So it might not happen where the U.S. even gets the 2022 ones now. Or 2026, excuse me, 2026. Well, I mean, of course, if Prince Ali, manly as he, you know, if he can pull it out somehow. I hope so. Oh, there's so many subplots in. I just, we need a World Cup in the United States, mainly so you and I can go on a press pass. Yeah, that and so we can, you know, I will say this, I, just as long as it's in our time zone, because it was nice watching it in Brazil uh, I believe on a, I believe it was a one-hour delay at that point in the year, so I can take that. I you know it was, it was nice to come home at six o'clock and watch the United States men's national team play soccer. And of course, you obviously also know Ed, that if it happens in the United States, um, you got to go to DC for a game. Oh, you gotta, absolutely have to go to DC, and we will go. DC, why not Railhawk Stadium in Raleigh? <laughs> why not? Why can't you host one at the Cary uh, Soccer Plex? Why not? I, Wake Med Soccer Complex, if it can host the Final Four for the NCAA Soccer Tournament, it can host a World Cup. I mean, all I can say is, you know, um, they've got a really nice facility at uh, Bishop Stadium in Rocky Mount. Yeah. That, that I have seen soccer played on there before. I'm sorry. I'm not the World Cup. Why not, why not England versus Brazil? Um, what are your thoughts on this, though, of... of, of FIFA go ahead and just giving the next set the next set of rights over uh, to the ones that had already bid on it. It sucks because man, that means we get another year of Fox. Yeah, and they haven't proven to be very good yet. No, and they're still going to be trying to have Gus Johnson out there, and I'm not down with that. No, they're not. They're not going to. That that did come out. Uh, I believe we actually might have covered that. Gus Johnson will not be the lead Fox soccer announcer. So. There but he that. will be by 2026. Probably. <laughs> They'll have it down pat by then. There you go. Um, no, I've just, you know, I've been so impressed with NBC Sport. <sighs> you know, God, give it NBC, man. NBC knows how to do events. Well, let's also say this. As much as we bag on ESPN, and we bag on ESPN a whole hell of yeah, a lot. ESPN did a great job. Oh, their World Cup coverage is class. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the one thing I don't have a problem with on ESPN is their soccer coverage. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. For, I mean, for the small bit that they still have, yeah. you know, ESPN FC, I've got that on auto record every day at my oh, house. You have I to. I, I literally, not every single night, but at least three, four nights a week, I'm watching the ESPN FC because they have good guys on there. They have, um, you know, they have smart commentators on there. It's smart banter. It, it is. It's, it's good, smart banter. God, wouldn't you just love to hear Arlo White calling a match? Oh, meaty, meaty French foreheads abound, West Bradshaw. Oh, oh, magical. <laughs> just bring in Arlo, you know, have Arlo White and then just bring in um, Ian Dark with him. So. Oh, God, I would I would scream. Oh, I was just, that's, you've given me the thickening, West Bradshaw. Dark and Mana. Oh, I would love a, a reunion of Dark and Maca. Oh, Mac Mana. Um, well, we got to go now to our dumb NFL story of the week. Because why not? Season can't stop, won't stop. On Monday, it was reported just, just down the road about four hours in a place Wes and I went to last year. Good old Charlotte. 
home of the Carolina Panthers of the NFL. And um, the Liverpool victory in 2014. There you go. Domestic abuse charges have been abruptly. They, didn't, they weren't just dismissed, Wes. They were abruptly dismissed against Greg Hardy, mainly because the state's key witness, Hardy's former girlfriend, Nicole Holder, can't be found anywhere. And uh, the, uh, the state isn't particularly interested in trying to find her either. Um, so Greg Hardy is basically going to get off because nobody nobody wants to hear the appeal. He was charged as guilty in the initial court proceedings, and on appeal, nobody can find the accuser. Oh well. So, hey, good on you, Greg Hardy. You beat those charges. Well, that means one of two things have happened, Ed. Either the check is cleared. Yeah. Or her body has yet to be found. <laughs> and and you joke. That that <laughs> first scenario all. that first scenario is absurdly likely. Oh, most likely. Absolutely. If the check cleared, you know, and and what I really want to know is who paid her off. Yeah. <laughs> because you know, the Panthers really didn't have much of a pass rush this year. No. Well here's the thing. I've seen a lot of sources say that Carolina's not actually gonna bring him back. Well, it remains to be seen. Um, it, it's a PR nightmare. Yeah. But you also know that in the NFL, if it can just blow over for a little while, and luckily for them, hey, it's happening at a perfect time. I mean, it's February where nobody's really paying that much attention to the NFL. Right. Um, you know, uh, everything else is going on right now. It's not really NFL season. We're not really paying that much attention to – little old Greg Hardy and the little old Carolina Panthers. Maybe we'll just sweep this under the rug in a few months, and then we get a 12-sack-a-year guy back. Hey. Are we just too cynical? Is, is that what it is? I mean, this is... I mean, you can say we are, but sadly, we've been proven right. Yeah, that's true. I I just, I feel bad, like, to an extent, uh, not too much, but to an extent, I feel bad because I feel like we, we keep reporting these stories, but they keep happening. It's like... Well, there's Why? The key. There's the key. I mean, it keeps happening. Also, do you think then it's fair that Hardy is basically going to get off on a technicality? I mean, a lot of people are going to come to his defense and say, well, because because the appeal is dropped, he's not actually guilty anymore. Which I guess is true, but he was initially found guilty. Well, I mean... Uh, I, I fault no man who beats the system because I think the system is crap and it's corrupt as shit. That's so not sometimes, wrong. You know, and sometimes the bad guy gets off. And if someone pulls it off, I kind of say, well, pat on the butt, bravo to you. Um, I mean, it's shitty and it's going to kind of follow him around forever. Will it? Do you think it will in the NFL in this day and age? I think it's getting to that point because especially domestic abuse, that's big. It's mm -hmm. big in the NFL. That's, that's, that's the NFL's current, that, that's their current crusade. So it'll follow him around as long as they're pushing the whole domestic violence bit. But once again, just like Adrian Peterson and Ray Rice that we're going to find out, if you can play, they don't really give a shit at the end of the day. Yeah, that that is interesting though. We haven't we haven't had yet, I don't think, a a test case 
for what reception will be like. Rice has not played a match since his altercation with his uh, then fiance. Uh, Adrian Peterson has not played a game since he, uh, his child abuse stuff came out. Greg Hardy obviously hasn't played a game since his stuff came out. And I think it's it's going to be very interesting, the first person who comes back, what kind of reception will they get? And that's when we're going to find out how Teflon strong is the NFL. And it's it's going to be... It's going to be a very nerve-wracking week at the NFL offices. <clears throat> but I believe if um, if Adrian Peterson runs out in, in Minnesota and gets a rousing standing ovation, the NFL front office is just going to smile and say, all right, we're cool, don't worry about anything. You know what? He's the one, though, that I can see kind of getting away with it a little bit because I know there's a lot of people – who are as up in arms about what he did to his child. And, and they, they think that that's a, a serviceable form of discipline. So I, do, I don't think Peterson's going to be the one. I think it's going to be either Rice or Hardy that's really going to be the strong test case. Peterson will be interesting. But well, here's gonna... the thing on Peterson is <clears throat> if Peterson stays in Minnesota, mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to be the big thing because, you know, he's, he's obviously a Vikings legend. Right. I mean, Rice is gone from Baltimore. It would have been interesting to see Rice in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. But that's obviously that's not going to happen at this point. Um, Peterson in Minnesota really intrigues me because those are, at this point, those are his people. You know, um, their kids are wearing his jersey everywhere they go. <clears throat> He's the franchise. Yep. Are you just going to willingly forget everything for the franchise? That, that is an interesting angle. Um, Sadly, I think the answer is going to be absolutely. Probably. You'll have your pockets of people who aren't happy, but overall, man, morality <clears throat> morality in this country, it's, it's about as long as, you know, it's about as long as your finger, man. Yeah. You know, once people get over it, they're over it, and, you know. It, it, it all comes down to what have you done for me lately. If he comes back and runs for 1,700 yards, he'll have zero problems. Yeah, and that is that is. A if he shame. comes back and runs for 700 yards, oh, man, they're going to have a problem. <laughs> we don't need a guy like this on our team. Oh, you can tell he's a cancer kid. Watch him run for 1,700 yards and 15 touchdowns. You'll love him. They, they Unfortunately, I think you're right. They will. Um, we were going to do a story on uh, Argentina's insane political scandal. Uh, featuring uh, Alberto Nisman and Argentinian President Cristina Fernandez. Um, we don't have the time, I think, to go into it, uh, and we're not <laughs> geopolitical world pundits, um, so neither of us are really going to go into it that much. I'm going to go to the weather, so I have no opinion on that this week. So Go look it up, though. Go read about it. I looked it up it. last week. <clears throat> it's just I've been over the weather and have yet to follow up this week. No, I'm not, I'm not blaming you. I'm not saying you go look it up. I'm telling our audience to go look it up. This story is fascinating. Just go read about it. There is political intrigue. Um, this is also the same woman who made a very racist tweet in the past couple days, uh, offending many Chinese people. Um, so Argentina is a little crazy right now. Um, and this has to do with going back to the AMIA bombing in 1994 in Argentina, which is Argentina's worst terrorist attack on their soil. Um, it is bonkers like like the their president might get indicted on like 
conspiracy murder charges. It's weird, really weird. Go look, read about it again. Uh, either type in like Alberto Nisman, <coughs> uh, that last name is N I S M A N, or just type in the Argentinian president. And I'm well, sure yeah, this, is, this is a country that has a long history of crazy. I mean, they have a movie made about a corrupt dictator um, that starred Madonna. Was that what that was about? Yeah. Oh, okay. Juan Perón. I, I see. I didn't. I did not realize that. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Oh, please don't. Um, of course, there's also other big news. Uh, we might get to it in a uh, next week's pod. I'm going to try to fit it in. Uh, we might also do it in a side offshoot pod. Not exactly sure how we're going to do it, but uh, there was big, big news in the world of Marvel and the Marvel Cinematic Universe this past week. I'm sure you guys know about Spider-Man coming back to Marvel. Uh, we will get more into that either next week or, like I said, in an offshoot pod. But for now, Wes, let us start to wrap this pod up, episode 41. Let's head to watch four. Wes, what are you watching in the week that was and the week that will be? And I had two shows this week. <clears throat> but I'm going to give you the one that was uh, fever-induced as yesterday being Wednesday as I, I laid on my couch. Um and was seeing the balloons flying through the air. Um, you know, everything that comes with that 102 degree temperature that I had. Love it. Um, I get on Netflix <clears throat> and Ed, a show from my childhood bombards me. And I spent the next four hours watching the first four episodes of Airwolf. Oh, the I see. Classic 1984 show involving a uh, ultra top secret supersonic helicopter. And its crew. Oh, that's uh, that's Starring two of America's finest ever actors, Ernest Borgnine and Jan Michael Vincent. Wow, you you really went old school on that one. 1984 was a hell of a year, Ed. <clears throat> um, the helicopter still somewhat stands up to this day. Wow. Technology-wise, was pretty way ahead of its time. Then I could I could see the U.S. I could see the U.S. military popping something out like that these days. Maybe. That'd be uh, nice. Yeah, it'd be totally sweet. Um, and as we said, Jan Michael Vincent, just a beautiful, beautiful American <laughs> in his time. And uh, that was before the drugs ravaged him. But anyway, mm. uh, Airwolf on Netflix. My dad would be proud of you, America. <laughs> but you said you had, you had two, right? Was there another oh, yeah. My other, my other one is uh, on the USA Network. Uh, season two has started in the last couple of weeks, and that is the TV show Sirens. Oh, I've uh, seen that, yeah. Yeah, Sirens, it's uh, another one kind of a little close to home. My dad's been a uh, nearly 40-year paramedic now. I doubt he's had some of these adventures, but if I was around three uh, paramedics in uh, Chicago, mm -hmm. uh, hilarity usually ensues, a lot of uh, sarcastic humor. Um, Dennis Leary, right? Dennis Leary produced the show. Yeah, Dennis Leary produced. Um, it, it's kind of a comedic version of uh, Rescue Me. Yeah, I would have I would have thought either that or it was a uh, more outside the walls version of Scrubs. Maybe a little edgier. A, a little, a little bit of both. I would give it a yeah. little bit of both on there. I think um, you're fair though. I think it's a fair call. Not not quite the sharp biting humor of uh, Scrubs. Mm -hmm. Um, but still funny, funny in its own right. Um, I DVR it every week and I, I usually get the chance to enjoy it. If you get the ones that come on at night, uh, you get to hear them curse a little more, which is always a big plus for me. <laughs> um, but, uh, good show, good show. Sirens. 
on um, USA. Well done. Um, I am actually in the throes. Uh, I have, I started on season two. I am currently almost done and will probably finish uh, later tonight when uh, I'm editing this podcast. Uh, I am actually uh, watching Parks and Rec on the Netflix right now. Almost done with season five. I am absolutely loving it. I am hating. I did not get to watch the show in its first run. Of course, I believe the season finale uh, airs tomorrow night. Um, so the good. Remarkable on- Ron Swanson. Oh God, I love Ron Swanson. That is. This is maybe one of the best ensemble casts. I have ever seen in a show, especially once uh, Adam Scott and Rob Lowe join uh, near the end of season two and become permanent cast members. This is this is fantastic. Maybe with the exception of Aziz Ansari, who I cannot stand ninety nine percent of the time on this show. This is an amazing cast. I love everyone. Uh, Jerry Gergich is is just so so sad and so funny. Uh, of course, uh, Andy Dwyer, played by Chris Pratt, who has gone from being this kind of goofball to, oh yeah, I'm also now, you know, starring in blockbuster movies, uh, and it's actually funny. Uh, there, there was a mo- there was a time I don't remember the exact line, but he references something about the whole galaxy, and I was like, oh my god, you were in Guardians of the Galaxy. My mind is exploding right now. This is awesome. Um, it's a hilarious show. It's very well written. Um, Amy Poehler is just fantastic. She is amazing in this show. Um, Aubrey Plaza is amazing in this show. I love Aubrey Plaza. I love her character. Um, just a great, 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 great show. So I still have about a, a, one more season on Netflix, and then I'm probably going to have to catch up on season seven on Hulu. And at some point, I will go back and watch season one. Maybe. It's only six episodes, but I, I heard it wasn't that good. But season two on is just, oh, it's so great. And I tell you what, when this show wants to make you cry, it can. That was one of those shows. It was um, it seemed, it seemed kind of like a slow starter. Mm-hmm. But then it really, really picked up steam after that first season. Oh, that's and that's why like I went online because I've heard a lot of people say that. And I was like, do I need to watch season one? But everybody was like, no. Just, uh... <laughs> Just start on season two. And what starts season two? A gay penguin wedding. Hell yes. Why wouldn't it? I was like, you. first you had my attention, now you have my intrigue. Um, so that is what I will be watching in the week that was and the week that will be until I finish it off. Um, Wes, let us now head to, as we always like to do at the end of our podcast, and get so raw. What's going on in the world of the WWE? Oh, and we are two weeks away from the fast lane. Oh, boy. That's supposed to be a car sound. Sorry, folks. It's fine. Uh, my NyQuil starting to kick in now. Awesome. This podcast uh, is getting good. <laughs> Woo-hoo-hoo. Uh, fast lane, your main event going to be Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns. Ooh. The winner will go on to WrestleMania to face... Beast incarnate himself, Brock Lesnar. Wait, wait, wait. Didn't Roman Reigns already get to go to WrestleMania because he won the Royal Rumble? He did. And, and I'm so proud of you. You're paying attention. I'm trying. What you missed was when uh, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon goaded him into putting his uh, WrestleMania shot on the line against the winner of Daniel Bryan and Seth Rollins uh, a week ago on Raw. 
Um, so, do you think, that, honestly, I, I hate to interrupt, do you think that was because everybody got pissed that Reigns won the, the Royal Rumble? Let, let's put it this way, Ed. I do believe that um, the blizzard the day after the Royal Rumble is maybe one of the greatest moments in <laughs> WWE history. <laughs> because that gave them four days to figure out their next step. Oh, my goodness. So, Go whatever has happened, Daniel Bryan now at least has a shot. Daniel Bryan, of course the sentimental favorite of every internet wrestling fan and basically every wrestling fan in existence right now. Um, so he won, a, he won a contenders match uh, against Seth Rollins. He'll go up against Reigns. Reigns, thank God. I'm going to tell you, one of the big problems everyone had going on with Roman Reigns was that he was – you know, it's it's kind of common knowledge now in the WWE that most all of the promos are scripted mm-hmm. now, where in the past they were not. Um, you know, you hear the great talkers of all time, your Stone Cold Steve Austin, your Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you know, Ric Flair, those guys, they they knew points they had to hit, but they said everything they wanted to say themselves. Now a lot of things are scripted. Mm-hmm. Roman Reigns, through the month of December, November and December, after he returned from his injury, had literally some of the most cringe-inducing promos <laughs> I've ever heard. Oh, boy. I mean, you've got a guy who is a six-foot-three-inch, 270-pound, just dynamo, just athletic marvel. Um, I'm not above saying he is also an extremely beautiful, beautiful man, as my wife loves to say every time that she sees him. Um, and you've got him talking like a 19, like a 1985 Hulk Hogan Mm. and telling corny jokes and corny stories. And it really made him look really ridiculous to your more into it wrestling fans. That is why... That is mostly why Roman Reigns was getting booed out of the arena after the Royal Rumble. Because people like me were like, oh my God, we're going to get two months of horrendous promos. And that's it. He's also, he's still not a totally great wrestler yet, okay? Mm-hmm. But since, since the blizzard, his promos have gone back to where they need to be for Roman Reigns. Short, sweet, to the point, and they paint him as a complete badass. It's basically an attitude of, I don't give a damn what you do to me. You can come at me. You can do whatever you want to me. I'm going to destroy everything in my path until I get to Brock Lesnar. And as this dynamic athlete that he is, with basically the body of a Greek god, that's what you wanted to hear from this guy. Mm-hmm. So that's fantastic. So that has got interest up. Now, they have, in the last week, he and Daniel Bryan have had multiple showdowns. Uh, SmackDown was actually finishing up tonight while we started the podcast, so I had that on. Um, he and Daniel Bryan have been forced to be a tag team over the last week, including tonight on SmackDown, and it has led to some very you know uncomfortable situations for both guys. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, because here you are, this is the guy who's going to be your opponent in two weeks, and you're having to watch his back and fight with him. And it has just, I think they're telling a really good story right now to us. <clears throat> and uh, I'm at this point, I'm, I'm up in the air about what's going to happen at Fastlane. I, I've got to believe somehow Roman Reigns is going to be in that main event at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But now, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, man. They're, they're really, really telling a good story on it. And, um, <clears throat> you know, what I thought was really a lot of people were going to be just dropping out of it for a while. I think WWE has done a really good job of getting people interested again in what's going on with Roman Reigns. And very, very interesting. Um, Got to mm-hmm. see what they're going to come up with next on uh, the WWE Network. Again, it's $9.99 a month. No um, subscription. Last night, <clears throat> I'm going to give one more really quick uh, Go for really it. little deal. Uh, NXT, which is kind of the developmental program for WWE, comes on Wednesday nights. Um, they, have, they, they are having what you would normally call a pay-per-view, which obviously now we're on the WWE Network. Uh, they are having those about every two months. Uh, they're calling them kind of their super shows because they usually do a one-hour show, so they do a live two-hour show. <clears throat> um, there are some guys in NXT right now who are pretty much like legends on the independent circuit mm-hmm. who are coming into the WWE fold. Right now, basically everyone coming into WWE is going through NXT. Um, guys like uh, Kevin Steen, um, Sami Zayn, Adrian Neville, gentleman now by the name of Finn Balor, who before was uh, Fergal Devitt, who of course said, I know you've heard me talk about the uh, the Bullet Club. Oh, yeah. Fergal Devitt was the guy who actually started the Bullet Club. He's now in NXT. Uh, no Bullet Club, unfortunately, in the NXT. Yeah. But, I mean, these guys are just absolutely magnificent in the ring. They can fly. They can wrestle. They can do so many things. And last night, they put on an absolutely fantastic show. It was called NXT uh, Rival. Um, And it it was just an awesome show. Uh, Kevin Steen, known now as Kevin Owens, uh, versus Sami Zayn for the the, uh, NXT Championship. Steen, while while Sami Zayn is more of your, um, you know, really athletic, high flyer, can do all these really pretty moves, Kevin Steen is an absolute bull. He's about 260 pounds, you know, looks like a construction worker, and literally powerbombed Sami Zayn into the referee stopping the match last night. It was absolutely brutal, and it was fantastic. (laughs) Uh, In a number one contenders match, Adrian Neville, Finn Balor, two of the really most exciting talents in the wrestling world, they had an epically good 20-minute long match. Ended with Finn Balor getting a win. Finn Balor is the guy. I showed you the picture of the guy with the um, the Venom paint. Yes, yes. You know who did all the Marvel stuff? That that's Finn Balor. Ah. So you you kind of have an idea who that is, and you know if he can wrestle half as good as that paint looks. <laughs> yes. Um. You know, and he can. He can. He can really hold it up in the ring. So uh, NXT has some really great stuff going on right now. Uh, like we said, Wednesday nights, uh, nine o'clock on the network. Um, if you're looking for something new to watch and you have the network, give it a shot. It's great. There you go. Um, so that's going to do it for us here on the all-new Sports of the Podcast. Um, that's episode 41. Of course, we'll be back next week with episode 42. We're going to have a lot more great stuff. 
We'll have an FA Cup weekend to recap, certainly see how Liverpool does on their trip to Crystal Palace. We'll have another weekend of college basketball in the books. Uh, we'll be getting back to talking more about the actual brackets instead of those who we've lost. And uh, we'll have plenty, plenty more, including, again, maybe that Marvel story. Um, of course, if you want to get in on the conversation, you can join us at Twitter, at All New Sports Show. Wes, you are? I'm at Wes Bradshaw 21. I am at Edward Green. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can email us allnewsportshow at gmail.com. You can uh, mail us your letters and parcels to 1701 Sunset Avenue, Suite 201, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, 27804. Of course, I want to give a big, big thanks once again that this podcast is being presented to you guys by NGSC Sports. You can check them out at ngscsports.com. Com. They are providing us to a host of other places like iHeartRadio, uh, Spreaker.com. You can also find us there. Uh, you can also just go to NGSCSports.com's main page. Find us there. I believe on Channel 2 is what we are on currently. Um, also want to give, of course, another shout-out to the, the iTunes Music Store and um, Stitcher Radio. We are on a lot of different platforms right now. It's getting kind of confusing in my head to keep track of them, but yeah, I'm going to write do this stuff down. Man. I do. I have a lot of this written down. I actually went ahead and closed my uh, my notes for the show uh, during So Raw, so because I already have the title for today's episode, so yeah. we're good. We're good on that. But um, that is going to do it again for our great producer Desmond McManus. That on the other side, pulling through in an epic. I, I will give you. I will give you. The Gatorade uh, Michael Jordan flu game. That was amazing, Wes Bradshaw. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll do what I can. You you put in a, a yeoman's 90-minute workload. Your your work rate was impeccable tonight yeah. on the pitch. I have to go uh, get my IVs and uh, my, my hot tub after this. We'll exchange jerseys after this. Uh, oh. My name is Edward Green. Thank you so much to all of our many listeners out there. We would not do this if it wasn't for you guys. Thank you guys for inviting us into your ears each and every week. So from all of us here at the all-new Sports of the Podcast, check us out next week. But until then, have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the FA Cup. And go, I don't know, somebody? Who are you pulling for, man? I don't know. I don't I don't have a horse in the FA Cup anymore. I know. Go Tottenham in Europa next week against Fiorentina. There you go, Ed. And good night to the Marshall Islands. Oh, love the Marshall Islands. They're my they're my favorite uh forgetting Sarah Islands. Oh,